I'm Colin. And I'm Megan. And this is Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional, Confessional, an open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back. Now, you may have noticed that there's been one topic that we really haven't covered yet on our podcast, and that is, well, cats. So to remedy that, we brought on the host of the Community Cats podcast, Stacy. Stacy is a wealth of information, and I cannot overstate that enough when it comes to all things cats. Her experience, passion, and dedication speak to that in volumes. So we are really excited to get to share this episode with you, and let's get started. Oh, Colin, thank you so much for having me on the show. And uh, yeah, for folks that, that don't know me, I'm Stacey LeBaron, and I am the host of the Community Cats podcast. Um, we started our show back in uh, 2016, and we have had over about 330 episodes. So yes, if you don't know much about cats, the Community Cats podcast is the place to be to find out anything and everything um, about cats. And uh, so the reason I started the show was because uh, I had run a nonprofit organization in Massachusetts called the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. I ran that organization for about 16 years. And in, in that period of time, we assisted about 75,000 cats through our spay neuter programs. We had two mobile clinics called Catmobiles. We had an adoption center. Um, it was one of the first cageless adoption centers for cats in Massachusetts mm. and around the country. Um, and we also had quite a few programs for feral cats, or at that point in time, we would call them feral cats. Now we call them more community cats, and they were free spay-neuter programs for our feral cats in the community. You get them spayed or neutered, and you get a little ear tip taken off their ear, give them a rabies vaccine, and we'd put them back out into the community, Mm. which would help reduce the cat overpopulation that so many shelters were faced with. Um, This was back way, way back when in the 90s. I can't believe I'm saying that, but way back (laughs) when in the 90s, when we were faced with a lot of overpopulation in our shelters around the country, um, I moved to Vermont and I sort of retired from my day-to-day work at in Massachusetts with the with the shelter. Um, and I wanted to do something else. And I had done a mentoring program. I had worked with 80 organizations across the country, helping them start these trap new to return programs. And I had 400 groups on my waiting list, 400 groups around the country that wanted help with starting a cat program for community cats. Um, and I couldn't leave those folks behind. I, I never did when someone called me wanting to ask for help uh, for a cat, you know, in their backyard, or if they even had a question about their own cat, I never wanted to leave that person behind. I wanted to always make sure we got, gave them a phone call and gave them some resources. Um, and that was true with these groups. And so I started this podcast and it's been a, a great journey. It's a lot of fun. We have a lot of incredible programs and we're helping lots and lots of cats. That's absolutely incredible. I mean, over 75,000 cats assisted through that program alone while you were running it. And then to then move on and expand across the country. I mean, where did your passion for cats come from? Yeah, it's actually one of my themes for the podcast is turn your passion for cats into action. So I'm mm-hmm. glad you brought up that word passion. Okay. That's a it's a big, big part of who I am and, and my show. And, um, and it's my hope is always my hope that when folks will listen to my show, that they will really turn their passion for cats into action. It was very organic how it happened to me. I mean, I 
obviously I grew up with a cat, a oh. very mean, grumpy old cat. But uh, <laughs> I grew up with a cat named Duncan who lived to the ripe old age of 20. And I still have the scars on the back of my hands as a little child. So Duncan oh. and I found a balance of power and got along well during those years. But um, I've always had one, at least one cat in my life. I, I definitely had more cats while I was working at the shelter because I would foster kittens. And mm -hmm. I also have a very big soft spot for the older cats. So whenever someone would surrender a 10-year-old cat to the shelter, it usually ended up in my office at my house. Um, but uh, how I got introduced to the sheltering world was I basically, I brought a bag of food in one day to this new shelter. I'd been driving by the sign and I thought, oh, well, I can donate some food. And so I did. And my name got on their mailing list. And then um, they uh, sent out a, an appeal letter, you know, fundraising letter. And I sent in a $50 donation. And then they sent out another letter saying they needed a board member for to be secretary. And I thought, well, I can type and I have a computer and that kind of thing. And so that year I became their secretary on their board. The next year I was vice president. And then they Year after that, I became president of the organization, and I was in that position for 16 years. My goodness! So yeah, I mean, you, you, <laughs> I just, yeah, that's just mind mind blowing, and and I just really appreciate the the kind of information and knowledge that you are out sharing. And, and you mentioned you've had cats, uh, you know, throughout your entire life. Um, do you have any cats now? I do. I do. I only have one cat, um, and his name is Hooch. And he was a, uh, a feral. He was trapped for one of our free Sunday spay neuter clinics. Um, he was trapped with another cat. So thus there was Turner and Hooch. Okay. <laughs> um, and uh, Turner got neutered and he got ear tipped and he was returned back to his colony. But Hooch had a wound, what was called, is called a wound of unknown origin. Mm. And in Massachusetts, if you have a, if you're a cat and you have a wound of unknown origin and you're not able to produce a rabies certificate, which he was not able to produce. Um, then you have to go into what's called a six-month rabies quarantine. Mm. And so Hooch came to stay at my house for six months as a foster. Um, and he turned into, or he was a very loving and friendly boy cat. Um, and he is FIV positive. Uh, and mm. that was a non-issue for us. So that was back when he was estimated to be about a year and a half old. Um, and he's now 12 years old and um, sleeping happily over on the bed in the other part of the room. Oh, goodness. Oh, that's, <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Um, I One of the cats that I had when I was going to, to college, we named him Jasper. And I remember sitting in the vet's office. He was, he was found on our front porch at the house that we were renting at the time. And um, all of his uh, whiskers had been cut off really super short to his face. And he had on two or three of these flea collars and he was really, you know, he acted pretty weird um, as far as like neurologically. And I remember sitting in the vet's office as they were checking him out and sitting, waiting to see uh, that, FI, that FHIV test, whether it come back positive or negative, just absolutely wrecked with nerves um, because I, I didn't know how I would handle that. Um, and so it, you, you mentioned that he is positive, but it, it, it doesn't seem to be that big of a, a deal in his life. Is that easily managed these days? Yeah. So FIV is feline immune deficiency virus. Um, so basically they are um, a little bit autoimmune compromised. So a cat with FIV can live with uh, cats that are negative for FIV. They don't have to be separate. They can mm -hmm. live together as long as they're not fighting 
seriously. So FIV is transferred through extremely deep bite wounds. Mm -hmm. So that's usually when you have unneutered cats fighting. Um, Once a cat is neutered, then the um, spread of the disease is very negligent. Now there's something else called feline leukemia. Mm -hmm. So usually we have what's called a combo test and a cat is tested for FIV and feline leukemia. Feline leukemia is a much more contagious virus, but it's not a death sentence. The organization that I was with, Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, has been adopting out feline leukemia positive cats since 1998. Hmm. Um, Feline leukemia positive cats, though, should be in um, families with other feline leukemia positive cats where they should be only cats. Um, If they're positive as kittens, their lifespan can be shortened a bit. But yet, usually, and I hate to have this conversation with people, but when their cat's time has come who has feline leukemia, it's usually a pretty quick process. It's not long and drawn out. I just had back in March, I had one of my cats pass away from oral cancer. And um, that, you know, it was a pretty long and drawn out months and months process, which was great. It gave me enough time to be able to sort of say my goodbyes and everything, but also, there's just, it's just, just a lot of sort of suffering and negotiating that goes on as to like, what's the time, the best time, you know, do you let mother nature take its course or do you euthanize? I mean, those are all very challenging questions that we have in the dog and the cat world. Mm -hmm. Um, But with feline leukemia, when a cat does sort of succumb to the disease, it's usually pretty fast. Now, if there's an adult cat that has feline leukemia, they can very easily live to be in that seven, eight, nine, ten year range, and you know, have a really good life with the family and that kind of thing. So, we um, adoption programs for feline leukemia are growing at a substantial rate, and they're even there's a cat cafe out in Seattle and another one in uh, Chicago at Treehouse Humane that have feline leukemia positive cats in their cat cafe. So, uh, mm. you know, the public really gets some education and exposure around the disease and not to be afraid of it. Yeah, because there is just a lot of unknown things about, you know, with feline leukemia and FIV, um, because it's not talked a lot about. And that's something that that you're really um, passionate about as part of your mission is education and and dialogue. And why do you think that's so necessary and important when dealing with cats specifically? Well, so I think people are, you know, just uncertain about what sort of the diseases are. I mean, many people have indoor-outdoor cats. So there are a lot of different issues that that come to play with cats. You know, there's also parasites, there's fleas, there's worms and that kind of thing because they're mousers and they may eat rodents that have, you know, various, you know, diseases that then turn into tapeworms or or whatever from that standpoint. So um and and I unfortunately our veterinarians out there, you know, there's only so much time in the day that they can provide education. And so I think Mm -hmm. the beauty of the internet, there's, there's also, there's bad news and there's good news on the internet. That's for sure. But um, I think that if you look hard enough, you'll be able to find, you know, the good news and that really with regards to disease and cats, um, we're a lot more farther along the progressive lines than we certainly were even 10 years ago. A lot of people have dogs in the forefront of their minds when they when people say I'm a pet sitter. Why do you think dogs take up such an inordinately large amount of the the collective thought of people as opposed to cats? 
So, well, from a financial standpoint, as a pet sitter, you're going to make more money with regards to dogs. And that's just the reality of the matter. Um, Mm -hmm. Dog owners put a lot more money into their pets, into their dogs, um, than cats do. Now, that uh, gap between the amount of dollars that you're willing to put into your cats versus the dogs, I believe, is getting a little bit narrower. Mm-hmm. Because there are certainly many urban areas now where the more of the population own cats than they own dogs. So, you know, there's getting to be a little bit of an inversion happening. But traditionally speaking, my my language 10 years ago would be, well, cats are sort of known as pets of the poor. Mm. And also as your income levels go down, the number of cats you have go up. And as your income level goes up, the number of dogs you have go up. So mm. veterinary practices pet sitters, uh, food, the specialty food stores, you know, 75% of your business or more is going to be around dogs. I'm not saying that's that I I feel like that will change over Mm -hmm. time because I feel like cats are finally coming into the range of, uh, dogs where we're pampering our cats. We're providing extra stimulation. It's more important for me to have um, you know, for my cat Hooch, I'll have a pet sitter here come here three times a day because he's a very he does not like to be alone. Mm-hmm. He's he's like a dog in that way where he's just has some separation anxiety issues. So I'll have a pet sitter come three times a day to come and spend an hour, you know, each time just watching a movie with him. But he'll hang out on her lap and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, understanding that the more enrichment you can provide your cat, the fewer behavioral issues you're going to have. So um, in using Hooch as my example, also um, some of the previous time when I had a lot more cats, he was a sprayer and he would spray in the house. And Mm. now he does not spray in the house. And, you know, so as a pet sitter um, and as a cat owner, we're going to be using pet sitters a lot more rather than um, just, you know, sort of having somebody come in and put some food down on the floor for the cat you know, every day or two. Cats and felines, they, they tend to have this view of these solitary creatures who just kind of stalk around and only come out at certain times. But they really are social, or at least some can be. And so noticing and what what your cat does or doesn't require is really important as to whether you're going to ask for a pet sitter. And if you are a pet sitter, the time and effort you should be putting in whenever you are caring for a cat. Right. And as a pet sitter and as you're meeting potential clients, it's really important for you to be able to say, you know, I'm not just putting the food down and mm-hmm. scooping the litter box. You know, I'll, you tell me what their favorite toys are. You tell me what are the things they like? You know, is there a bed that I need to make sure that is, you know, in a certain way? Or do they, you know, one thing, you know, cats will do is they'll scratch at their beds or whatever. So they'll mess things up. So, you know, are there certain things that I need to make sure that, that you know, I pay attention to. You know, are there their special hiding places, um, so that then you're not going to worry if you can't find the cat. You know, are there places they like to take a nap? My cats at my other house, you know, two of them used to love sleeping up back up in the back closet. You know, and if I didn't share that information with my pet sitter, she would have thought she'd lost two cats. <laughs> and um, so you know, she would have been you know all worried and on the phone because you know she'd want to make sure to check on everybody to make sure everybody is okay. So as a pet sitter, if you go in and say, you know, well, what makes your cat happy or what do you do? Or do you have a routine? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, does your cat expect to be played with before getting dinner and then the cat will sleep through the night? You know, I mean, you really do. We think, oh, well, we have to go take the dog for a walk. Well, you really have to walk your cat too. Mm. Not necessarily walk the cat outside, but you can if you want to. There's, you can have leashes and take your cat out for a walk. But just in terms of making sure that there's enough, um, you know, engagement and, and entertainment and enrichment. Um, one of the programs that I do is a, an online behavior day, which is an online webinar. And all we're talking about is cat behavior issues. And we have two mm. uh, feline behaviorists. And so it's from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And it's, you know, talking about, well, different litter box issues and favorite kinds of litter and your best cat toys or, and then you bring your favorite toys too, as a pet sitter, it's good for you to know, well, what are, what would be my favorite cat toy? You know, if I were a cat, do you know, I could bring a a cat dancer toy in, which is like this little rolled up paper thing on a, on a newspaper, on a big uh, piano wire. Um, It's the simplest little toy, but yet all of my cats have loved it. And (laughs) it's a, a fantastic toy. So, you know, many things, there are many things out. If your cat is misbehaving in any way, shape or form, the more you can do to engage with that cat, um, the better. Now there are definitely some very shy cats out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you have to figure out a different way. They, they do want to communicate with you, but there's a different way of communicating with them. So, you know, you just have to learn how to speak their language. So, so on that note, I mean, one of the common things talked about in pet store communities is they have a cat and it's just super aggressive. It doesn't want to be around them at all. It hides immediately. What does a sitter do in that kind of situation? So, well, obviously it's hard to comment with it being just sort of generalized because if, yeah. <laughs> you know, if the family, you know, cats can have reactions to different people in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a woman, Pam Johnson Bennett, um, and she has written quite a few books, uh, feline behavior books. Um, and one of them is to think like a cat. There's another book called psycho kitty, which I love. Um, and another book <laughs> called hiss and tell. Those are two of my favorite books from her. Okay. Um, and they're small. They're these little, little books. Um, and there's some great resources in there in terms of figuring out, you know, what, what is up with your cat? Why does your, why is your cat aggressive? Um, and, you know, is there something that, that is triggering it? You know, mm. are, you, are you triggering it? I mean, is it a multi-cat household? Is there a dog in the house? Are there kids in the house? Um, what's, what's causing the behavior? Is the behavior, you know, with the people? Is the behavior with you? Is there, are you wearing some perfume that's bothering the cat? Mm. Uh, there's just, you know, it's a whole range of th- things. From my standpoint, it's very rare that I hear of like, oh, I'm walking into the house and like, Cujo is attacking my leg. That's sort of a rarity. Usually it's cat sees you Oh, You're not my mom. I'm out of here. Yeah. Um, and, and that, that's okay. I mean, there's definitely, you have to have a a relationship. Um, we, we don't know what happened in the past life of that cat. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, as long as they're running away and they're not limping away or something like that as a pet sitter, that's, that's okay. You know, that's fine. And you do go about and you do your business and, you know, give them the new food um, and new litter. Sometimes you can make friends with them um, if you know where their hiding spot is and you can, you know, put an extra special treat near where they're hiding. And then you might see when you come back that that treat has been eaten. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you want to love them with, you know, 
with food first because that's the best way. But mm. cats being super aggressive, always people would say, well, is there a medical issue? Are they in pain? Is there something from that standpoint, especially if they're acting aggressive and they weren't aggressive with the family while the family was there? Um, but it's very rare that you have a really aggressive cat. Sure. And I think the big takeaway from there is that the cat's not just being a jerk, right? Like there's something that that you can learn about and and start investing in the cat that you're that's under your care and take some time to be intentional about getting to know them, looking at some of these resources from Pam Johnson Bennett and and really start just stop writing it off, right? That that's because that tends to happen is when someone goes, Oh, the cat's a jerk. They're just always going to be a jerk. There's nothing I can do about that. Everybody knows those cats that really like to come out and play. And then all of a sudden, it seems like a flip switches and they attack your hand, scratch, and then run off. And right. someone will say, oh, my cat's just being a jerk right now. Is, is that really what's going on though? Is there, you know, what's going on there? So that's a point where the cat's been overstimulated. Hmm. Um, and so that is basically the cat's way of saying, you know what? You're not seeing my signals here. And um, so you know, that's part of that learning process. And we are, um, unfortunately, we're, you know, in such a way where we're not as aware of what the cat's trying to tell us as we are about, oh, like, we're going to play. And um, so you have to just be really careful to learn and understand what's going on, you know, with the cat, Mm -hmm. Um, especially if you're, say, say, you've got a cat that, you know, maybe a little bit easily overstimulated and you've got like a, a group of three friends or four friends visiting, you know, in the house, it's a little bit loud. There's a lot of stuff going on. If a cat feels like they don't have control over their space, they're going to get really weird. Mm. Um, and so if you, and you're like, Hey, let me show you Misty's little trick, you know, or something like that. Mm. Cats aren't as excited about that. They're not, they are trainable. You can do clicker training with cats. Okay. Um, and a lot of people recommend trying clicker training. That's actually the, the biggest sort of fad that right now is using clicker training to help with um, some behavioral issues. So you could certainly look into doing clicker training, especially if you're a dog person and you understand what clicker training is all about. Mm-hmm. You certainly can transfer that into cats to help them with their behavior. Um, and, and it has worked out really well. And also there's a program which is oriented towards veterinary visits and stuff, but it's called fear free. Um, and it's, uh, it's a way of just sort of calming things down. Um, especially when you have to take your cat to the veterinarian, but there are also some good behavioral tips there too, for just, uh, you know, understanding and keeping peace in the household and stuff, but really respect your cat. And if your cat's not the type of cat, that's going to like seeing people that they don't know and that kind of stuff, you know, put them in a safe space, put them Mm -hmm. in the bedroom, put them in the bathroom with a litter box, put them in a place where they know they're going to be safe and they don't, and then they're not going to be as um, unpredictable as, as you might think. We're talking a lot about cat behavior here. What are some of the biggest misconceptions of cat behavior? Um, or, Or have we already mentioned some of them? So the misconceptions about cat behavior, well, certainly I think a lot of misconceptions are that cats are doing the behavior, you know, because they're mad at you. Hmm. So, you know, a cat pees on, you know, somebody's luggage when they come home from a trip or something like that. And they're doing, say, oh, they're doing this out of spite and that kind of thing. And, 
And that's, you know, that's not necessarily the attitude to have because they're also, cats are very sensitive. So, you know, we just have to, you know, understand that we're having a very difficult time communicating and we need to be able to cross this bridge together and yeah. understand that it's not time for you to pee on my, my suitcase, but maybe the next time I bring my suitcase, you know, into the house, maybe I'm not going to put it on the floor. Or maybe I will put it in a place where the cat can't because there's hotel smells there. There's, you know, something funny that's bothering them. Um, you know, if a cat is peeing or uh, pooping outside of the litter box, that's not intentional. They're trying right. to tell you something. Um, either you're not, you're not using the right litter, you're not using the right box, you're not, um, you know, they're, they just really would rather go outside. Yeah. <laughs> they would, you know, it's just, you know, I, I can tell everybody, I mean, Pooch has the best capability of flinging cat litter across the room as any cat I've ever seen. He probably has the <laughs> biggest biceps of any cat out there because he is just so irritated that I make him use that litter box because I, I don't let him out in Vermont because they're just too many wild critters. But mm -hmm. he was an indoor-outdoor cat in Massachusetts, and I had to make him an indoor cat here. And it's the one part of that indoor only life that he is really irritated with. So the cat litter does get all over the room. Mm. Um, but, you know, at least he is going in the litter box and I respect that. And I keep it as clean as possible for him because he really likes a clean box. Every cat really likes a clean box. So that's really important to stress that if you have multiple cats in your household, you should have the same number of boxes that you have for cats and then add another one. Mm. Um, and ideally if you do have a house, a big house where you're on like multiple floors, ideally it's good to have boxes on every floor. So I know that's not necessarily convenient for people, but that's, what's convenient for cats is having litter boxes on every floor. And you don't, cause you don't want to have six cats and have seven litter boxes all in one space, because what if they all need to use the litter box at the same time, they're going to all be fighting because it's yeah. all going to be over that same, that same area. So, you know, those are just some of the little, the tips, um, you know, that are out there with regards to behavior. Scratching is another hot topic. Mm -hmm. um, cat scratching, make sure that there's horizontal scratching options as well as vertical and okay. that they're solid. So if you scratch, if a cat's scratching on something and it's tippy, they're not going to want to do it because they don't want it bonking them in the head. So you want to make sure that they're solid. Some prefer sizzle scratching the the string like stuff mm -hmm. um other prefer more of like the carpeting like that's not as well recommended but some cats you have to try and find their texture um and then also some cats really like the horizontal cardboard things you mm -hmm. can get them in the grocery store and you put catnip in them and mm -hmm. um so you can you know use that but a lot of people forget that cats like horizontal scratching as well as the vertical option and, um, so it's important to not forget that because that's the way that they can sort of, um, you know, de-sharpen their claws. Mm. Um, now, you know, ever since I've been, I've been down to two cats and I have not had any furniture scratching going on. If you do, um, have furniture scratchers, make sure you put your scratchers near where they're scratching so that they can scratch on the scratching post rather than the furniture. Um, there are also sort of some drapery cover things that you can put over that, um, furniture. And I mean, if you're really, uh, if you got plenty of money, uh, you can buy a, and not necessarily a vegan person, uh, leather couches are impossible to scratch. So, um, you know, those take 
cat wear and tear very well. So if you can move away from uh, the, you know, sort of material, then, um, then the leather wears well. But honestly, if you have enough scratching options in the house for the cats, they're not going to go for the furniture. Um, you can, there are some citrus products you can spray on the furniture too um, that don't cause staining that make it just kind of a nasty smell. Mm. Um, declawing is not an option. It mm. is illegal to declaw cats in, um, in New York. It's illegal to do it in England. It's, um, it's an amputation of the, of the bone on the, on the fingers basically. So if you want, there's nail caps you can put on and certainly, you know, you can easily, and some pet, pet sitters offer this service. And if you are of that inclination, you can make a good amount of money offering to do nail trims of the cats that are amenable to having their nails trimmed. What you're really pointing out there is that when you are enriching the cat's environment, when you are in getting the cat engaged, you can really cut back on a lot of those concerns that people have with scratching because that tends to be something that can happen um, with brand new cats or maybe old cats where their environment changes and all of a sudden they start scratching. And a lot of people's first response is, well, we'll get them declawed. Oh, there are, we can, we can, they use lasers these days. They're not crushing bones. And so we'll just get them declawed and then we'll never have to worry about that. But there's so much better options of, of as simply as providing a few more scratching posts in horizontal and vertical so that it's, their environment is more enriched. So you don't have to go down that road. Right. Well, and it's also, it's the cat's way of marking their territory, marking Mm -hmm. their space. Um, and to be honest, if you're worried about scratching and you have them declawed, they're going to um, start, uh, there's something, a statistic of like almost 75% of cats that are declawed either become biters or they become inappropriate uh, litter box users. Mm. So they will use their mouth or the other end to sort of own, try and use that as a way of owning their space. And they can be living a life in chronic pain in their, with their paws being mutated in that way. Right. Yeah. So to those of you listening, if you have clients or if you've ever thought about that, declawing is totally off the table and not an option ever. There are much yeah. better options out there. Yeah. <laughs> and and many of you though may also be caring for uh, cats that are already declawed. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And and over the years, you know, we've had I've even had some Persian cats surrender to us that had the front and the back paws declawed. Mm. And so that, you know, they, they basically hit a wood floor and they just went splat right out. Cause there was like no way to grip on the floor. You know, there's yeah. nothing to hold on to. Um, so it's important for you to really know and understand if you are dealing with a declawed cat too, cause then you might be more aware of the fact that they might be more of a biter. Um, and you know, just because it's their only way of defending themselves. And so just when you're petting them, just you'll have that understanding of, of that being a potential, you know, option out there for the cat. Um, and, you know, always, you know, let the cat develop the relationship and then, you know, you guys will go together and create a new friendship. Have you heard about Time to Pet? Susan from The Pet Gal has this to say. Time to Pet has helped us grow exponentially. We believe the platform's features make us by far more professional than other companies who use conventional dashboards. They are the software gurus constantly developing and improving the platform based on user feedback. 
this decision was a good one. If you are looking for new pet sitting software for your business, give Time to Pet a try. As a listener of Pet Sitter Confessional, you'll get 50% off your first three months when you sign up at timetopet.com slash confessional. You mentioned it a little bit with, with your cat, Hooch, currently. He wasn't an outdoor. Now he's living an indoor life. W- what are your thoughts on indoor, outdoor cats? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that it is um, very much dependent upon this owner-cat relationship. Um, and so I can't necessarily say all cats should be indoor-only cats. And I can't mm-hmm. say that all cats should be indoor-outdoor. or Everybody should be a barn cat, but um, or a working cat. Uh, I think that there's a place for cats in all of those avenues, and and I wish I could say that. And this was one of the greatest challenges that we had when we were doing adoptions because we're trying to place a cat with a family, and you know, finding the right the right balance, the right combination is it's really an art form. Um, and mm. you know, I wish I could say it was all perfect. I you know, ideally. Um, you know, indoor only has the longest lifespan for cats, but is that the longest health span? I don't know because an indoor only cat tends to be more obese. Mm. It's less stimulated. It doesn't, cats need to hunt. They love to hunt. Mm -hmm. It's in their DNA. It's part of who they are. And if they aren't able to utilize those skills, they become bored. They become, you know, they become more susceptible to other, other situations. But then again, as an indoor outdoor cat, their lifespan may be shorter. Um, obviously if you live on a busy road, you're going to have an indoor only cat because you don't want the cat to get hit by a car. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, here I am in rural Vermont and I've decided to keep my cat in just because the wildlife situation. So yeah. when a uh, hooch was indoor outdoor, it was like more of a suburban environment. Um, but you know, he did, he did, hunt a lot of moles and mice and those kinds of things. And, you know, we had to deal with fleas um, and, you know, he had tapeworms. So there are also those kinds of consequences too. I was putting, you know, chemicals, put advantage or frontline or whatever on his, you know, and I didn't necessarily like putting all those chemicals on him too. Mm-hmm. So I wish I could have the, like the golden ball of <laughs> saying that, you know, every cat needs to be this way. Um, I think if you make the commitment to have an indoor only cat, you're making a commitment to more than having just an indoor cat. You've got to make a commitment to, you know, I try and play with him as much as possible. Um, you know, we just really engage with him so he's not just sort of blazing around. Right. Yeah. And I like, I like that of, of not necessarily a one size fits all, but really thorough, well thought out. Um, what that's going to look like for the longevity for the life of that cat, as long as it's in your care, um, as long as you're because you're going to be taking care of it for a very long time. And that decision is not the same for everybody across the country, and it's situation by situation. Um, and and I, I like that that there's there's so much more that goes into oh, do they just go outside for a little bit? Um, you know, there are things you need to be thinking about when you decide to open that door and let them outside, and it's not just a I'll let them back in when they come back kind of thing. Right. Right. And I mean, there's a huge trend now uh, around adventure cats and explorer cats. Oh yeah. And you, there are these really weird looking backpacks. So you can put your cat in this backpack and it's mm. like got this bubble and it's got an air space and the stuff. So you can, 
you can travel with your cat now is, has become really popular. Oh, cool. um, and actually, Hooch does have a leash. Um, and like a, it's actually, it's a small dogs, um, like leash type thing. And, um, so I can take him out for walks, but I'll be honest, I really don't do it that often because it sort of makes him crazy. Cause it's like, I give him a flavor of it and then he like wants to be out all the time. Sure. And so I, um, I can't do it very often because it, I feel like it's just, it's unfair. It, that's a commitment. I, I can't, I'm not making at this point in time, which is to have him out on the leash with me 24 seven. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things, but you know, I never know. I, I usually take him out a few times a year and, and, you know, like in the winter time now with the snow, he won't want to stay out very long. So I could take him out and he'd be like, wait a minute, why are you taking me out here? This is not where I want to go. And, um, but then I sort of feel like I'm giving him a taste of the outdoors. Yeah. So let's say uh, a sitter, uh, a pet sitter just gets their first cat client that they're going to take care of. What are some things that they should be aware of or make sure that they ask the owner about so that they can give the best care that they can? Yeah. So if the owner doesn't have this already put together, it'd be really good for you to have a little checklist ahead of time, which I would assume you do with your dog clients, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of how much food do you feed them? Typically, when do you feed them? What do you feed them? Where's the food kept? Are the is the cat on any medication? What's the uh, veterinarian's name um, that they go to? If there is an emergency, what should you do? Um, I always leave an envelope with um, some money in it if, in case there has to go to emergency vet or anything like that. I mean, we do have credit cards now and phones and stuff like that, so. Mm-hmm. I can always call the emergency clinic, but I did have a situation once where my, I was in Europe and my cat sitter had to take my cat to the emergency clinic in Boston. Um, the cat ended up being hospitalized for a week while I was still out of town. And, um, but you know, it was great that she was able to do that and she knew what to do. Um, also all the cats, uh, veterinary records in a, you know, in a folder. Mm. Um, and then also, you know, favorite toys, cat litter supplies, um, and all those kinds of things and where the cat likes to hide. Um, mm. those would be all the sort of the critical things to do to ask about. Um, and then there's more of the standard stuff, sort of, you know, what to do if the power goes out or, you know, some of those other kinds of householdy type things. But, yeah. Yeah. um, yeah, from the cat standpoint, you know, just sort of anything, obviously medications and anything from that standpoint. Um, the other thing you can do too is uh, there's a product called Feel Away and it's a, it's like a pheromone, And so you can spray it on a towel. And, um, you know, if you come in and you bring that this, a lot of cats sometimes really just sort of like it and they just sort of like sit on it and it just, it's a calming thing. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's something that they use quite a bit in veterinary practices to try and soothe cats. Um, usually they drape a towel that's been sprayed in it over the carriers just so that then they can get a little bit of a sense. And it's, there's plugins that are in the house uh, or that it, are in the veterinarian's office. And you could actually even say, you know, Hey, if your cat's a really agitated cat, maybe these feel away plugins would be good so that they're just not going to get so stressed out when I'm coming in and out. Wow. So, I mean, there's, I, I love that resource because a lot of people, you know, if especially if it's the first time the owner is leaving, or maybe if it's the first time the sitter is taking care of a cat, they may be nervous, making the cat nervous and unsure of what's going on. 
So just knowing that there are things that you can do or have the owner do ahead of time to begin prepping for your, for your first visit um, to help th- that go smoothly for everybody involved. Right. Right. I mean, if you really want to go, you know, crazy too, there are um, CBD treats. Um, and so, you know, you can have them. And I mean, the CBD is more for like pain and, and that kind of thing, but it also mm-hmm. just sort of chills the cat out and they're like little, little treats uh, and that kind of thing. The other thing too, that a lot of the pet sitters that I've had over the years, because they know I worry so much about my cats, um, is that if it is possible, they'll take a picture or a video and they'll text it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, or they'll just text and say, Hey, you know, just letting you know, I'm here and I did my stuff and all is well and that kind of thing. And from a standpoint of being someone who's on vacation, just sort of knowing that, you know, somebody has checked in and everything is okay, yeah. um, makes my vacation that much better. Yeah, absolutely. And that can be challenging, especially if there's a cat that does have a hidey hole that yep. either you don't know about it or it they have a couple that the owner forgot to tell you. So there can be a few tense moments where the pet sitter, you're walking around the house trying to figure out where this cat is so you can get one of those uh, proof of life photos and say, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I found the cat. This is where they are. It's only eye shine, but you know, they're, they're up in the closet. <laughs> right. Right. And I mean, that's definitely, yeah. The, if it's a shy cat or whether, whatever, I mean, I, I had a cat that I would call a no see Um, mm. and so, but you know, they would be like, well, I, I, put the plate of food down in the closet and the food was eaten. So I'm assuming it's, you know, it's okay. Cause you don't want to stick your nose in so aggressively that you're going to like scare them yeah. too. Yeah. So you have to sort of, but um, an owner, a pet owner would understand that and be like, don't worry about, don't worry about finding, you know, the other cat. I understand, you know, but as long as you can see the ones that you're supposed to see, yeah, you know, they're okay. And, and that kind of thing. Yeah. So. That's really important. If they have multiple cats, having that conversation, which ones do you expect, which ones do you think I will see and which ones will I never see? That would be a no see because in in, in taking notes. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, and I've had, so I've had cats too. So other things to think about too are, you know, are there places that they could get into that they shouldn't get into? I mean, hopefully they have cat proofed their house, but um, I've had my cats get into heating vents and those kinds of things too. So, oh my. um, just there, you know, if, if they are, um, nervous or agitated because the household is different or whatever, you know, are there places that the owner really should make sure are really, you know, locked down so that they're not going to pull open the flap behind the tub and get in behind the tub and that kind of thing. So there's, there are a lot of places or, or get under the sink you know, where the chemicals all are mm-hmm. and everything, you know, a lot of cats like to break into cupboards, that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, just you're depending on the owner really knowing their cat. And actually by asking these questions, you're, you'll get a better sense of how well do they really engage or not engage with their pet. Yeah. And help you meet, meet and exceed their expectations in the long run. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, um, this year has been a really big year for you. You've got, had a lot going on, um, would, would love for you to share a little bit about um, what you've done and what you have planned coming up. Yeah, yeah. 2020 has been a big year. So um, early in the year, I had an online cat conference, which happens every year. It's usually around the last weekend in January. Uh, and that was really focused on community cat issues. So what to do if you have a cat that strays through your backyard a couple of times, 
Um, you know, do you worry? Do you not worry? Is it a stray cat? Is it an own cat? Is it a community cat? That kind of thing. So uh, we really focused on some of those issues as well as barn cat programs and, and some other um, things around spaying and neutering and um, educational opportunities. And then we had an online behavior day, um, and that was in February. That was, I had mentioned that earlier, where we were talking with two behaviorists, Rachel Geller, as well as Tabitha Crucera. Um, and those two have both been on my podcast. So if you go to the communitycatspodcast.com, go into the search bar, put either Tabitha or Rachel, their podcasts would come right up if you're interested in listening to more cat behavior stuff. They've both been on my podcast. Um, and then we also have a webinar series with an organization called Neighborhood Cats, um, and they are doing an incredible job trapping community cats in Maui right now. And um, they do four webinars a year with us on um, trappers' tips and tricks, um, how to take care of ferals, uh, return to field. And um, there is a product called a drop trap that a lot of people use when they're trapping uh, feral cats and community cats. And so they're really pros in that. And so they're doing a, a range of different type of educational things. And then um, in June of this year, we are going to have the online kitten conference, and that's going to be June 14th through 16th. Um, I'd highly recommend you check it out if you're thinking about being a foster home for cats or kittens uh, or potentially adopting. Great resources there, a lot of behavioral stuff, a lot of stuff on how to take care of kittens. And um, so that's onlinekittenconference.com, mm -hmm. and I'm doing that in partnership with the National Kitten Coalition. Uh, we're also going to be at a whole slew of different conferences this year. So. Um, I have been speaking at the New England Federation of Humane Societies um, and HSUS Expo, and we go to a, a, a conference called Cat Camp, which is in New York City. Mm -hmm. And then there's also one in Meow, D.C., which is in D.C. So there are a bazillion different cat conferences <laughs> all around the country. There, It's been like tripling the number of cat conferences. There's Pop Cats, there's CatCon. Uh, there's like oh snow cats, silicon cats. I can <laughs> I cannot tell you how many. There's uh oh uh, Ashbury. There's Cat Academy. There's another one that's in Jersey. There's um one. There's one in Montreal. One in Chicago. Best Friends has a conference. I mean, I can conference myself every weekend if I want to, and that's just new within like the last two or three years. And that's another reason why I say folks are really embracing cats much more. Just individual owners of cats feel like it's a responsibility to get more involved in the cat community. And mm. I really see that happening with the uptick and the growth of these cat uh, conferences. There's cats, fun, play, education, <laughs> you know, dress up. I mean, it's all put together in one big conference center or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be doing well and people are, you know, making enough money at it to keep it going. Yeah, that's that's really exciting, and uh, you know, just to think of all those kind of all those cat conferences going on, the growth that's there. And what I want to point out is, if you're a pet sitter, maybe going to the cat conference isn't your thing or what you want to be doing, but have that in mind so that whenever so you can recommend it to one of your clients that has a cat, ask them, "Hey, 
I know that you love your cats. Did you know that this cat conference is going on nearby um, during these dates so that you can be that resource and that you can help continue to educate your clients over time so that they become better pet owners and they um, can better work with you too as part of that being a great resource to, to your clients, not just there to take care of them, but there's this educational aspect too that you can be really a keystone in uh, throughout the care of their pet. Oh yeah, definitely. And by going to these conferences, you're going to be exposed to as much cat swag as possible in terms of, you know, these are the new toys. These are the best, you know, cat water fountains and, you know, so everything is out there. And, um, I interviewed a, a guy that we met at, um, at cat camp and he designs these incredible water bowls that are, uh, for cats and dogs that they can't, bend all the way down and they they can't even drink out of a flat bowl so it has to be at a certain angle and oh, so whoa. he's done all this like 3d printing of these special bowls for cats and dogs that have this certain condition and um you know so you can find out all these different like options and opportunities for special needs animals too mm. and that that is such a a niche market but such an underserved market is people who have special needs pets who sometimes feel like they don't you know they don't know what to do they may be at their wits end or maybe really struggling for care and comforting their animal to to be able to recommend these kind of things to them is is a is genuinely a lifesaver to not just the 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 cat but also to the owners right and another thing another service and and I mentioned it a little bit earlier is you know the um administering of medications. So, mm -hmm. you know, the older a cat gets, the the more chance that they're going to have some sort of, you know, medication need or, you know, the ability, you can charge a nice price if you can give a kitty fluids. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it it's a good investment if you are willing to have that sort of vet tech hat on. Yeah. Um, so many people with diabetic cats and there's an organization called diabetic cats in need. So if you network with them and if you were able to do insulin injections for cats, I cannot tell you how many people want pet sitters who can handle giving insulin injections to their cats so that then they can travel. I mean, it is like they have toddlers at home and they feel like they can't get away mm -hmm. and you definitely can charge a good price if you're willing to pop cat, you know, their insulin, um, or give a renal failure kitty their fluids. Um, it's not hard to do. It's not, it's not brutally difficult, but you know, you do have to be kind of okay around needles and that kind of thing, but you can certainly charge a nice, a nice figure and you would get known as the person, you know, who can do that. Also just having the resources of knowing veterinarians, there's some veterinarians that you know, when the time does come for the cat to have to be, you know, either euthanized or needing end of life care or something like that, there are quite a few veterinarians that specialize in that and are willing to come to your house. Mm -hmm. And that might be a resource that a person wouldn't know about that you might be able to offer to them for, you know, a really peaceful transition. Yeah, that's so essential. And it's, it's, it's very, it's a very hard process and people are looking for, for comfort and support during that time. So to know that there's somebody out there who is, is humane and, and is going to do it under the best care and possible circumstances, that's just, that's, you know, you, you, you'll see the relief in people's eyes whenever you start talking about 
you know, peaceful options. Right. And it's, I mean, it's, it's really, it's a hard, hard time, but I have to say, if you can do it at home, it's the best way to do it. Mm. I think from a cat standpoint, because a cat, I've never met a cat who likes going to the veterinarian no matter what anyway. And so if you're going to take them to the vet for that last, last bit, it's, it just, you know, it just doesn't make sense. I understand, obviously, from a financial standpoint, that might not be possible. I'm in rural Vermont. So in my case, it's really hard because the nearest mobile vet is like an hour and a half away. But um, if you can, do it. Uh, I think you should definitely explore that option. Yeah, about it's all about knowing your options and, and what you have on uh, available to you. You touched on this a little bit earlier when you're talking about your conference, the conferences, and, and all of those kind of resources uh, that you can go there and get a lot of swag and check out some of the the cat specific products. Um, over the years, have you developed a, a favorite list of of products, of brushes, litter boxes, that kind of stuff that you find really reliable or just cats tend to enjoy more? Um, yeah, so I, um, I have to say, well, so I've, there are two types of cat litter that I like. Um, and one is Dr. Elsie's cat litter, as well as I also use world's best cat litter. Um, so those are good. I'm, um, not a, a super fan of like heavy, heavy litters that you have to, that's like very heavy clay mm-hmm. that really sticks on the pan and, and that kind of thing. Um, I am luckily that my cats are pretty, pretty chill about the litter boxes. So I have (laughs) one that is other than the flinging, um, Hooch and his flinging, but I, (laughs) I tend to keep my litter boxes as low and wide as possible. Um, just so that it's easy in easy out. But Mm -hmm. I know other people like the tall sided litter box, um, covered litter boxes is, a a no-go in my household. And mm-hmm. most behaviorists I've talked to say, if your cat has any aversions towards the litter box, uh, covered is not good because it makes them feel trapped. So they're sure. not going to go in there. Um, <clears throat> so they like it being wide and, and visible. We all want to have it covered because we don't want to see it. But sure. <laughs> unfortunately, cats <laughs> want it to be as open as possible so that they know that if somebody does come to get them, they've got a, you know, got a back door. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and I have for Hooch, I have two litter boxes for him. Um, he's an early stage renal failure. And one thing that you may or may not know with renal failure kitties is they pee a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so over the course of one 24 hour period, he'll have been in the box at least six times. So, wow. um, I will, you know, I, I try to keep up with it as good as possible. And he'll tell me if I don't by flinging the litter all around the room. Um, (laughs) And so anyway, so in terms of that's litter. So my litter boxes, I'm really not that particular about other than Mm -hmm. I say low and open is as, as best. And the older a cat gets, the lower you want to get with the box because they tend to have a harder time getting in and out. I will tell, I will say um, with regards to cats and arthritis, I've had great success with arthritic cats with CBD. Um, and I'm okay. not a veterinarian, so I'm disclosing I'm not a veterinarian out there, but I sure. did interview a holistic veterinarian in, I think she's in Boulder, Colorado, Dr. Angie Kraus. You can go on the communitycatspodcast.com and, um, you can, she does cats and dogs and stuff and you can look at her resources there, but she's been a great resource. And I also interviewed the folks from pet relief, uh, Steve Smith 
and um, they have a company dedicated to CBD products for both cats and dogs, and mm-hmm. they really know their stuff. They were one of the earlier uh, businesses in the in the game um, for CBD and for for pets. Uh, so that's those are some really really good resources and, and a good product. Um, and in terms of foods, um, I feed Hooch. I, I was born and raised with fancy feasts. So he's pretty much a, a fancy feast, but, um, it's been with the renal failure. I'm, I'm always looking for suggestions. So if there are folks out there that have suggestions, I'm always eager for more suggestions because he's becoming a kind of, uh, picky eater. Um, mm. and I, I like the, uh, I actually also go back, I'll use pretty litter too. I don't know if you're familiar with that product, but Mm-mm. that's a product so that if, if the cat has a urinary tract infection, the, the litter changes color. Oh, nice. So you can use that to see if there might be a, and that's great for a, you know, a cat that you're not going to really want to work hard to catch for a urine sample or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, it's a great way. So I, I use that periodically just to check. And then Pretty Litter also has a grain-free dry food. And I use that. I, I'm part of their, their monthly program. Now, toys for toys. Um, mm-hmm. I like the uh, Cat Dancer toy tremendously. Mm. I use that a lot. Um, a lot of people use those red lights, the red pen lights for mm-hmm. the cats to chase. The one hard thing is you can't, the cat can never catch it. And the one thing that's really important in enrichment with cats is making sure that you're giving them the opportunity to win the hunt or to make the kill or whatever. So at the end of the day, you know, you play with them for five or 10 minutes or whatever, you know, they're kind of huffing and puffing and whatever you let them have it. You let them, you know, have it for a moment. And sometimes they'll pick it up in their mouth and they'll drag it away and they'll put it in a corner. Um, they're the like the little uh, scrunchy balls that are kind of kind of they kind of crick you know they're crinkly. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes cats really like those, and you know they're toys you can make out of pipe cleaners. If you go on YouTube, there's a uh, the kitten lady Hannah Shaw, who's also been on our show, um, has done a couple of uh, do-it-yourself cat toy videos, and with Kate Benjamin. Um, and so with pipe cleaners and Mm -hmm. you can make some cat toys. So there's a lot of do it yourself stuff that works really well. We have these plastic things that were wrapped around boxes that came with us and I just drag it around the house with me and Hooch comes racing after me. And he's just (laughs) like, it's like, he thinks it's the most, and of course there's grocery bags and boxes. How can you not talk about cat toys and (laughs) talk about, not talk about, you know, grocery bags and boxes, but Uh you know, those are always the best best cat toys out there. So it doesn't have to be anything fancy or expensive. Um, it's just, you know, they just want to have you engaged in, in their lives. Sure. So you have been and done a lot of work over the years with spay and neuter programs. That's something that you have been invested early on and continue to be involved in. Why is that so important? And more importantly, I think, is, is how can other people get involved? Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah. So when I first started out in this business back in 1994, you know, many shelters were euthanizing upwards of 70% of the cats in their shelters. And we were really in a severe overpopulation problem with regards to cats. We had a lot of programs that would trap cats. They just bring them in. The shelters weren't adopting out a lot of cats. And so they would be euthanizing due to space. Um, and in my world, 
when I joined the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, they were dealing with 300 cats on the waterfront in this small town called Newburyport. Mm. And um, there were like a dozen or so restaurants and the cats would look in the sliding glass windows while people were eating their, you know, steak and lobster dinners and stuff. And, you know, they'd have runny, goopy eyes and all this stuff. And, and they did not want to, the community, so there was a group of probably about five women who were feeding cats on the waterfront. And that's what they knew to do. They just, that's all they knew. Um, they joined with the Chamber of Commerce and they said, decided, well, let's get them all spayed and neutered. And so then hopefully that would like slow down the, the population. So in the first year, they actually trapped and adopted out 125 cats from that area because there were a lot of kittens. They had mm-hmm. a lot of litters of kittens. And they actually had earlier... Um, had one litter test positive for rabies. So then also there was disease down there too. So mm. anyway, so they trapped 125 cats and placed them and they um, returned, a, you know, another 150 or so. And then there were some cats they had to keep working at trapping. Um, you know, I fast forward through from um, 94 to 2008. And as of 2008, there were no more cats on the waterfront. Whoa. Um, so, you know, we went from 300 to zero, 300 with 14 feeding stations to mm-hmm. zero cats by 2008. So trap wow. neuter return does work and it can work to reduce the overall cat population. Um, and, and it's the humane way to go because also people would unfortunately drop off cats. I mean, this problem is a problem of, of unfortunately people having cats and they're not able to get the assistance that they need to help those cats, whether it's the cat spraying in the house and they can't afford to get it neutered mm-hmm. or if they're moving and they just can't take the cat with them or whatever. But in those early years, we would have cats dropped off down at the waterfront. Um, you know, we have these newcomers that we would have to trap and they'd be totally friendly cats and we'd bring them in and put them up for adoption at our shelter. Nowadays that doesn't happen because we're we act as an open or the MRFRS acts as an open admission shelter. So there's no questions asked. If someone needs assistance, they take the cat in without any problems and the cat gets adopted out. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a, a no-kill environment. Um, and so we were able to work in our sort of small pocket of the world, you know, really make change. Um, but as people got to know about our programs, we wanted to be able to do more to help others. Now, we couldn't expand our shelter programs, but yet we could expand our spay-neuter programs. So in 2000, we started feral, free feral cat spay neuter weekends where we got veterinarians to donate their time. And then we also um, started in 2008, we started our mobile spay neuter clinics because the reality is this all starts out with, you know, Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve are usually owned by somebody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my initial objective is if they're going to get abandoned, I want them to be spayed and neutered before they get abandoned so that they're not going to be any kittens out there because kittens, over 50% of kittens don't make it the first three months out mm. there through predators, through cars, through a whole range of, through, and who wants to stress the mom out that way? I mean, nothing personal, but yeah. the miracle of birth for a feral mom is pretty tough out there. So, you know, we don't really want that to happen. Um, and so, you know, that was where I was going with offering as free or as low cost as possible, these mobile spay and neuter clinics that are going to do 40 cats a day all around Eastern Massachusetts. Um, and, and so that's what we did. And we got grant money. So we had target zones. So the city of Lowell, we started out in 2008 there. They used to 
euthanize on Fridays because they didn't really want to come and deal with the animals over the weekend. Um, and then, um, they had new management come in very progressive, but they had cats all over the place. It was crazy what they had back then in terms of the overcrowding in a very small shelter, um, in the number of cats. And then, you know, after about a five-year period, they were like, what's a kitten? We don't see any kittens anymore, you know, Whoa, because yeah. we were there every Monday and we were doing free spay neuter for about three years. Um, we got grant funding for a three-year project. And we basically said, you know what? No questions asked. You bring us a cat that's unspayed or neutered from Lowell. We'll do it for free. And it totally solved their problems and their, their overpopulation issues. And now they're able to help other communities. Um, to answer your second part of the question um, about how can folks get involved to help, a couple of ways. So um, there is a campaign called Feline Fixed by Five. Um, so early age spay neuter is a really important component for cats in preventing having that first litter of kittens. A cat can get pregnant at four months of age. And so most veterinarians recommend that you wait until six months. But mm -hmm. if you as a client or a customer of a veterinarian go and ask them to just look up feline fix by five and see if they would consider trying to fix their clients kittens by five months rather than six that would solve a tremendous amount of unwanted uh, pregnancies. So that's that's an easy thing that we all can do. Yeah, no. And again, you're being that that resource to the people in your community, to your clients and to their friends and family who have questions too. That's such a big part of this because we are a direct interface with a lot of clients as opposed to um, people who are more removed or they may not know where to to Google or where to to look for resources. We can we can be that resource to point them in those kind of directions. Right, right. And then if you want to, you know, become a heavy hitter or something like that, you can certainly look up your local cat shelter um, and, you know, volunteer to, you know, help at the shelter or else be a foster home or help with fundraising. There are a lot of people who um, who want to, you know, do make cat toys or something like that to sell and that kind of thing. So just a, a couple of other, you know, options to think about, too. Stacy, I want to thank you for coming on today. I, this has been such a, a wonderful conversation and a lot of resources have been thrown out there and there's still so much more to cover. Um, I, if people want to reach out and get in touch, dig into and find more resources and follow along with your work, um, how can they do that and get in touch? Yeah, so folks can really find out anything that they want about me and the programs that we offer at the communitycatspodcast.com. Uh, that's commu communitycatspodcast.com. We're also on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. I am personally Stacy LeBaron. I'm in LinkedIn. So if there are any pet sitters out there that want to connect with me via LinkedIn, um, that would be great. Also, feel free to subscribe to the show. Um, and we are at uh, Apple Podcasts um, and YouTube, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcast, I guess, is the line we are supposed to say in the podcasting world. Yeah, <laughs> it can. Yeah, absolutely. I really encourage <laughs> it. It's, it can be confusing to remember where exactly you are. And you're, you're, you guys are everywhere. And I really encourage our listeners to definitely go and subscribe because there's a ton of resources. You guys have had a lot on a lot of really amazing uh, people to interview and a lot of good things shared there. So uh, Stacy, again, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure and a real joy. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me.
I was taking notes like crazy during my conversation with Stacy. No joke, because actual confession here, for a long time, I was one of those people that thought, oh, cats are just jerks, and some of them are going to like you, some of them are not going to like you, and there's nothing that you, as a person, can do to change that. Having more exposure and more education around that has really changed how I view them. And Stacy just knocked it out of the park time and time again in that as a pet sitter, we can do things. There are steps we can take. There are processes that we can put in place, questions to ask to make sure that those interactions can be as beneficial and as nice as possible. You're not going to win them all over, and you can only do so much sometimes during one or two drop-ins. But as professionals, that's just the effort that we need to be putting into place. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Time to Pet, for making this show possible. You can check out our show notes and read a full transcript and find all of the links and resources that were mentioned in this episode and every other episode that we've done on our website at petsitterconfessional.com. There you can find how to get in touch with us, how to email us, our phone number, 636-364-8260, and all of the links to get connected with us. Until next time.